Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, your host, Caroline Foran. This week on the podcast, I'm thrilled to welcome back Dermot Whelan, who was on before with his, he calls him his work wife, Dave, Dermot and Dave of Today FM, popular show here in Ireland, to talk about his experience of anxiety. This time he's here as an expert. So he's the author of a new book called Mindful, Unwreck Your Head, De-Stress Your Life. Dermot has recently done a lot of courses and qualifications to become a meditation teacher and he just really gets it and he demystifies it and he explains it in a way that makes it very accessible, very approachable. There's a lot of humour in it with him as always and he just makes a very convincing case here for making a little moment in your day, whether it's a couple of seconds, whether it's a couple of minutes, whether it's a half an hour to connect with your breath, take away all of the assumptions you have about meditation and reap the rewards. So Dermot here talks me through how he approaches meditation, how he got into this and some really useful tips and tricks and techniques that we can start to employ and bring into our lives from today. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed it. I felt super zen at the end of the conversation and straight away I did some breathing myself and I just constantly forget how significant it is and how your breath is always your anchor wherever you go. It's always there. It's a tool that we underutilize it so much and it's there for the taking and it's very powerful when you want to downregulate your stress response and not feel anxiety. So I hope you enjoy it and thanks a million. Dermot Whelan, thank you so much for joining me on Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast. Massive congratulations on your soon-to-launch book called Mindful, Unwreck Your Head, De-Stress Your Life. I love the title. 
thanks, Caroline. I am very, very happy to be chatting to you today. And yeah, I'm excited about the book. It's going to, you know, as you know yourself, it lives in your head and on your laptop for so long. It's just lovely to know that um, people can actually read it and pick it up and hold it. And, it's and, a really uh, enjoyable yeah. read and we're going to get into it now. But it would be great if we could start with going back to, I suppose, that pivotal moment for you, which has now gotten you so much mileage as a good comedy story where you arrived at a festival in an ambulance. But I'm sure at the time was not <laughs> funny at all. No, and I think anyone who has ever had a panic or anxiety attack will know that at the time there's not a huge amount of humor in the moment because uh, you think you're dying. But yeah, that was back in 2007. And uh, I, I did, I think I still hold the record for the only comedian to arrive into the cat laughs in an ambulance. Um, sirens going. I was like, yes, make it louder and brighter. I want my entrance to be extra special. And what were they doing for you? I mean, were they monitoring your heart or were they just saying, here's a glass of water like your grand? Well, they gave me a, a piece of very, very high tech equipment. Um, it was a brown paper bag. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> they, they said, here, breathe into that. You're grand. You're not having a heart attack. You're not having a stroke. Uh, you're just having an anxiety attack. But they brought me to the hospital to kind of just check me out and check my heart and all those kinds of things just to make sure I was... Um, they weren't missing anything. So you thought you were having like a heart attack or something. You had no awareness of it being anxiety or you were not aware of anything that was causing you stress to get to that point of acute, I suppose, manifestation of it. No, I wasn't aware of any that I was sort of experiencing heavy amounts of stress. I wasn't aware that maybe I was experiencing anxiety on a daily level Um I wasn't aware of any of it. And I suppose even back in 2007, people weren't really talking about this kind no, of stuff. No, not at you all. Know? Yeah. And you might hear an old woman say, oh, I take them pills for me nerves. The nerves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it wasn't something that was uh, chatted about a lot. So I didn't even have the vocabulary in my head to say, oh, I'm experiencing, you know, the stress response. I think I need to, you know, switch off my amygdala. You know, there was there was none of that. It was I was just very, very busy. Um, the only stress management I knew was, you know, having a pint or a glass of wine. And so I guess, you know, whenever there is an event like an anxiety or panic attack, it's usually a perfect storm of things. So I had very little sleep because I was on breakfast radio. So I was already, you know, at a loss in terms of uh, being balanced because I wasn't getting enough sleep because I was working on the radio up at 4.30 a.m. I was doing comedy gigs, you know, for half the week, getting home after midnight. I had small babies at home. Uh, I was on the telly. I was obviously doing the comedy, doing the radio and comedy. So I just had all these things going on and I just was, you know, like like a car flying around a racetrack with bits coming off on every bend. So that day when I sat into the car, I suppose I had been out the night before. So I was hung over as well because I had been drinking wine with some buddies, probably due to being nervous at the back of my mind about going to perform at the festival. So um, that sort of, uh, sort of mad cocktail of excitement, nerves, lack of sleep and all that sort of contributed to me staying out way later than I should have. So I was driving down in the car. And to me, it just felt like the invisible man just sat in on top of me. 
it was the weirdest feeling. And I'm, thankfully, I have never had one since. But um, maybe any of your listeners who have had something similar might be able to relate to it. It just was like like someone had opened up the door and just sat on top of me. So I could feel this weight on my belly. And then I, as I describe it in the book, it's, it's like someone replaced my blood with the fuzz from televisions that aren't tuned in. I realize that's quite an, an abstract comparison, but you remember, you know, the old tellies, if you hadn't got the channel tuned in, it was all that sort of gray, black and white fuzz. Yeah. It was like that was going through my body. Wow. I always use the word, it's as if it's crystallizing in my body or it's fizzing or something like it's something you can feel seeping and percolating through your limbs. It's a real physical feeling. It sure is. Yeah. And obviously, you know, I wasn't feeling particularly anxious uh, consciously. So it wasn't as if I was sort of ruminating about, oh, God, you know, I was actually chatting to my brother-in-law who was in the car with me. And I was like, God, I, I feel very strange. Um, but yeah, that kind of fizziness sort of filled, that's a great way of describing it, kind of filled my body. And then I was like, you know, I'm having difficulty breathing here. I'm going to have to pull the car over. I don't feel right. So then I was lying in the driveway of a bungalow. Um, and I remember because it had those eagles on the pillars that say, this is no ordinary bungalow. <laughs> this is a super bungalow. Um, I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm actually going to die here at the side of the road. This is this is not the way I had anticipated my death, um, you know, near a roundabout in Kilkenny. So anyway, someone called an ambulance and, you know, you know the rest. I, I was okay. But what I was, one thing I was really surprised about actually was when I did get to Kilkenny, the amount of people who sort of quietly told me later on when they, they'd heard what happened to me, quietly told me that, yeah, I've, I had one of them, I have anxiety attacks. Like, a load of people told me that they had these things. And I was like, why is nobody talking about this? This is horrendous. Like, it just happens and everyone just sort of gets on with it. Yeah. And I think such a top layer of that anxiety, you know, obviously you had all the, that perfect storm of all those very tangible things like work, like the babies at home, you know, just not sleeping. But then the extra layer on top is I should be fine. I should be able to cope with all this. And everyone thinking, I don't want to say it out loud. I think if we can normalize that and take away that, at least that's going to bring down some of the anxiety because that part of the anxiety is there, the fear of what people will think of us. Yeah, of course. And I, I think a lot of the time people are afraid that they will be labeled as I'm now an anxious person and this is who I am now, you know, and you've talked about it so often yourself that there's nowhere on the scale. It's either I'm perfectly normal, functioning, happy, balanced human being, and then I'm an anxious person. I have anxiety. Oh, that's me now. Uh, you know, and I very much see it as a, as a sliding scale. You know, there are times in our life when we are perfectly normal and balanced and healthy and happy. And there are times where that scale slides, you know, and obviously, at the, and, you know, panic attack mode is fairly high up that scale. You know, but oftentimes we will find ourselves at various points on that scale. And it doesn't mean you have to give yourself a label or a diagnosis or look at yourself any differently. It just means that you firstly become aware of how you react in certain situations. And then hopefully you'll manage to find or develop a toolkit that you can reach for and go, oh, do you know what? I know what this feeling is. This, you know, whether I'm aware of it or not. I'm obviously experiencing some level of stress and anxiety here. So I'm going to do the X, Y, Z. And I know that always helps me. So even for me, you know, through the meditation, 
that gave me an enormous sense of ownership, you know, which is apt considering the name of the podcast, but, you know, ownership and understanding and sort of freedom, you know, in that, you know, I'm, I'm so much acutely more aware now of how my body reacts in certain situations and what the warning signs are. And I'll go, okay, I know what this is now. I know I need to pull back or clear my diary for the next couple of days or um, get out into nature is a massive one for me or obviously meditate. So learning these things frees you up then to go, there will be times in the week ahead where I may be pushing myself too hard. And, you know, I now know how my body reacts to those, you know, and I'm very aware that, consciously it's almost like that's the last thing to click you know I won't just wake up and go like what happened me in that uh, you know the anxiety attack it was my body screaming at me saying hey there's something wrong here you need to manage stress a bit better my conscious mind was last to the party you know so I have to be aware that that could still happen and that my body's always sending me little signals to let me know to give me a little helping hand or a helping nudge Um, And that usually works. You mentioned there about like labels and diagnoses and stuff. And I completely agree. Like I would see myself as like a human being with a pulse and a stress response. And sometimes in life it flares up and sometimes it's completely fine. I don't consider myself an anxious person. I get a lot of messages from people saying, oh, like I was told I had generalized anxiety disorder. And I know it might be a controversial topic, but I feel like there's a lot of people who are maybe just looking for that diagnosis. And then to me, it kind of paralyzes you into thinking that you're just stuck that way. And is it necessary when it comes to something like anxiety, which is a stress response? What do you think about that? Well, I suppose I should preface this with saying I am not a doctor yeah. <laughs> you know, and I'm not a medic or a, a medical expert in any way. Um, so that's important for me to say. But I do believe there are people who really do need the most extreme medical help because that's where they find themselves. I suppose all I can talk about really is in my experience is the same thing that people contact me and say, oh, this happens to me and that happens to me. Does this mean I have anxiety? As as if it's sort of a A virus. (laughs) Yeah, that you've caught or it's a cloud that has somehow landed on you and now it's stuck for life. A feeling of anxiousness is just a, often just a snapshot of where you are at that particular time. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's who you are or who you will always be. When we can appreciate that, that is, it's just a snapshot in time and it could last for five minutes. Maybe it's a week where you're just not feeling yourself or, or maybe it's a little bit longer. There's enough people walking around who've gotten through the anxious periods in, in their life and have come out more resilient, you know, to to prove that, you know, that's the case. I think it's just really important for people to realize that if they're struggling with anxiety right now, it's not a permanent thing. It's not that this is who you are now, like you say, and this is it forever, because there's tools there that bring you out of that. And that's exactly what your book is going to do for people. So let's talk about meditation. I love that you say in the book that you thought it might have been a bit wanky or for people who have beads instead of doors <laughs> hippie types um <laughs> and obviously now you've been convinced otherwise i still have a funny relationship with it i know we mentioned this before in the last conversation where i'm a bit of a crisis meditator i'll remember to do it when the shit has hit the fan i was reading your story about how you just went up and sat down and you were quite whelmed about the whole thing did it take you a while to like it yeah it was certainly something new and felt a little bit strange because 
simply because we're not used to just sitting down and doing something as simple as focusing on your breath or repeating a phrase over and over again in your mind. So, you know, there's it's like kind of trying on a pair of strange shoes. You're like, oh, okay, I, I kind of get this. And I suppose we are conditioned to expect results or expect something um, even mildly dramatic or interesting to happen. And a lot of the time it doesn't. And then you think you're failing at it. Yeah. And like the most common things, you know, people say, ah, oh, you know, I, I kind of get the idea, but I, I don't think it's for me because I just keep having too many thoughts as if there's a whole section of, you know, of society that walks around with beautifully tidy minds, you know, yeah. where no thought is running around by itself. You know, we have 80,000 thoughts a day. They're not going anywhere. And it's a big myth that I like to bust. We're not expected to clear our minds, as we've heard so often in movies and, you know, where the monk says, clear your mind of all thoughts or the Jedi in training. You're not going to. In fact, you don't want to because we need those thoughts because they're keeping us alive, literally. And even when you're meditating, when you realize your mind has wandered, that's a thought in itself. So we can't actually meditate without thoughts either. So that would be the main myth I would love to bust for people is that if you have thoughts, that doesn't mean you're doing it wrong or your brain is broken or different to anyone else's. Meditation is simply focusing your mind on one thing. And when your mind wanders off, which it will, you just gently guide it back to what you were focusing on. So if it's your breath, you focus on your breath, your mind will wander to the dog barking outside or, oh, I forgot to buy cheese. And then you go, oh, my mind has wandered and you bring it back. And that could happen 50 or 100 or 500 times in one meditation where it's a tennis match where the ball bounces between attention, distraction, attention, distraction, and it just keeps bouncing backwards and forwards. And that's all you have to do is just keep realizing when your mind has wandered and you go, oh, I'm not thinking about my breath anymore. And you bring it back and it, you just let that ball bounce. And over time, the you know, it'll become a little less frantic, a little bit easier for you to control. But there are days when I sit down, you know, and I'll go 25 minutes and sit up at the end of it and think, did I actually manage to focus on my breath once in that whole mess? You know, because you could have something on your mind, but that's fine. That's just where I was that day. And the next time I sit down to do it, it'll be slightly different. And is it something that you have to make time for now? Or like, would you gravitate towards the same way you would gravitate towards like a treat or something for pleasure? All the science points to regular daily use. It's exactly the same as if you were trying to get fit in the gym and you wouldn't just turn up twice a month whenever you felt like it and then expect to be totally ripped. Yeah, you know, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that's what a lot of us do. Um, at least you're going to the gym. I'm not, all. I'm not. It was a joke. I'm putting my Lululemon <laughs> leggings on, okay? And that's yeah, it. That's what it's about. Just look the part at least. Fake it till you make it. But meditation is the same. We We can't expect to get the results in our brains that we're looking for if we're actually not turning up, you know, and, and all the science points to that, like meditation has been scientifically proven through a Harvard study to change the shape of your brain. It will shrink your fear center, your amygdala, you know, that causes our anxious and fearful and angry thoughts it will actually make it smaller. Um, it will grow other parts of your brain responsible for self-awareness and logical thinking and empathy and all these other wonderful things. But that can only happen when we're exercising it every day. 
Um, that's not to say we beat ourselves up if we forget a session, but all the science points to regular daily use of meditation, even for an absolute beginner, that's where you see the physical changes in the brain taking place. And for me, I just loved that study because for myself, I was thinking, well, how can I continue to have the same amount of angry or anxious or fearful thoughts when the part of my brain that's producing them is actually shrinking every time I sit down to meditate? You know, we're creatures of habit. So for me, the morning time one is the most important to start off with. We tend to get up at roughly the same time. We have our shower at the same time. We drink our same coffee. We go to the same coffee shop. We probably drive the same way to work. This is, of course, in normal times. And I realize you having a small eight-month-old baby at home means that your routine may have taken a hit over the last while. Just a little um, bit. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, so you find it more effective in the morning for you? I, I think it's a great time to do it. You know, my teacher always taught me RPM. It was a great way to sort of lock this into your daily routine so you wouldn't forget. RPM is rise, P meditate. Oh, God, so, I thought it was going to be something so much more sophisticated. No. <laughs> well, this is me you're talking to. But it's very effective because the idea is you get up in the morning, you go do what you got to do in the bathroom, and then you do it straight away. Okay. And you do it before you pick up your phone, before you start scrolling on Instagram, looking at news feeds that are scientifically proven to increase your stress hormones. And are and you good at that part now? Are you good at holding off on the phone until you've done it? Yeah, absolutely. So that's crucial for me. So I, I wake up 40 minutes before I need to be up and I will meditate then. It isn't about sitting in the lotus position, wearing beautifully flowy yoga clothes and taking a selfie for Instagram while I'm doing it. I'm looking at my Harvey Norman two-seater recliner couch here, you know, in downstairs is where I do it. I just pull a blanket over me and get cozy and warm and do it. You know, you don't have to be uncomfortable to meditate or you won't come back and do it the next day. Yeah. And are you sitting up for it or are you lying down? I would always sit up unless I was actually meditating to try and go to sleep. Uh, I would lie down. But if I wanted to kind of, you know, especially the morning where I'm trying to use it to sort of set the table for the day and decide how I'd like to feel and how I'd like to interact with the day. Um, I always recommend doing it sitting up um, as much as you can. Don't have to have a sweeping brush up your backside. You know, it doesn't have to be, but you're just not lying down because particularly if you're just for beginners, because you're initializing that lovely relaxed state, your body, because it's been trained to recognize that as sleep, goes, oh, I, I know this is, their eyes are closed, they're nice and relaxed, their breathing is slowed down, this must be sleepy time, you know, and yeah. you fall asleep. When we meditate, we create a new state where, yes, your eyes are closed and your body's nice and relaxed and you're breathing a bit slower and deeper, but actually your mind is alert. So, it can take us a while to to train our bodies to recognize that as a different state and not just snoozy times. OK, so this kind of morning meditation is part of your daily routine. That's, I guess, keeping your anxiety or your anger or whatever it is, keeping it like at a nice manageable level. But if, you know, life happens and you do get into a situation where you feel really stressed out, is there something that you can do? Can you like turbo boost your meditation to help bring you back down or downregulate your stress response? when you do come up against those mini crises in your day? Yeah, well, I would always have little techniques that I can use in the moment, you know, and I, I bring a lot of those to the book. 
where, yes, I'll have my daily routine of morning and evening meditations. But, you know, we even with that, some days are just really stressful or someone really ticks you off or you've got a lot going on and you're feeling a bit overwhelmed and you're starting to feel a little bit worked up or I, I, I get that sort of tired but wired feeling yep. that maybe people can relate to. So I know when I feel that come on, I go, okay, well, I can actually just do a little technique here that's going to lower my blood pressure and lower my heart rate and lower those levels of cortisol and adrenaline in my system and kind of bring my body back online. I like to picture it like a cockpit of an airplane, you know, in those disaster movies where the plane is going and all the, the dials are all over the place spinning around. So, you know, sometimes we can all feel like a bit, a bit like that when we're, we're not feeling very balanced a couple of easy techniques and you can kind of bring that those dials back online and you feel your plane leveling out a little bit. So I do a 16 second meditation, which I learned when I started meditating. I do one called the one breath wonder, um, which just literally is that focusing on one breath at a time. And even a really simple technique that only lasts a few seconds can be enough of a pattern interrupt for your stress response that it just brings everything back online. And sometimes that's all you need. You bring a lot of humor, obviously, into your writing. And like you said there, it's you I'm talking to. You're up in the morning peeing and meditating. You're not a monk <laughs> in, in the Himalayas. And that makes it really accessible. Do you think that people shy away from meditation because they, they take it too seriously? Has it, along with mindfulness, been elevated to something untouchable, do you think, in, in the whole wellness industry? Yeah, I mean, I think the whole wellness slash spiritual world that really takes itself far too seriously. You know, um, you see so many profile pictures of teachers or, or people involved with yoga or meditation and like that. And they have that pose where they have their hands joined in prayer and they're under their chin. And it's like they're saying, I'm so bloody holy right now. I can't even deal with myself. You know, I'm, I am just so sincere. And it doesn't need to be like that. You know, these are simple exercises, techniques that aren't attached to any dogma or special religious or spiritual group. They're free to everybody, you know, and some people like the woo woo fluffy stuff that goes with it. Other people want to know the science, you know, and they don't want to call it meditation. They want to call it tactical breathing or relaxation exercises or, you know, so you know, the, the language around it sometimes doesn't make it very accessible. And that's why I was so determined to write the book is because I was like, this stuff works. The science is here, especially in the last 10 years. There's so much science about how this stuff can lower anxiety and depression and help you sleep better and help you feel happier and more fulfilled and make you more patient and make you lose the rag a little bit less and be more present and aware for the people who are really important to you. Why is it gathered up with all these sort of Instagram types as if it's only available to beautiful people. Yeah, like it's an aesthetic um, you know, or something. Yeah. And, and you know, hopefully my book will cut through a lot of that for people. And it's, you just learn a few techniques, have them in your emotional toolbox. So when you have a wobbly moment, a wobbly day, a wobbly week, you know that you can go, well, you know what? I didn't sleep great last night, but tonight maybe I'll try one of those meditations and lower my stress hormones and see if I can boost my melatonin and help me sleep a bit better. I think one of the, I suppose one of my own misconceptions about it would be that you're 
numbing yourself or, or trying not to feel things. And like you said, like trying not to think, I know that's not the case. How important is it to you to honor those wobbles and those shit days? Because I think there's a lot of like toxic positivity around at the moment where we hear all this good vibes only stuff. And I did a separate podcast dedicated to that where people can feel shamed into feeling the bad stuff. And sometimes they're very necessary emotions or it's important to let yourself feel it and then benefit from the likes of meditation instead of just trying to suppress it and not feel anything. Like how important is it for people to, I suppose, allow for the full spectrum of how they feel? It's massively important. And I absolutely agree. It's not helpful Nobody wants to be that person who walks around going, hey, everything's fine. And generally those people, everybody around them knows everything ain't fine. You don't want to be painting on a smile. You know, that's why your podcast is so good. That's why your Instagram posts are so good, because you openly admit when you're having a crappy day or when you're struggling, you know, and we don't see enough of that online. We see, you know, the shiny, happy face out front. The rest tends to be hidden. And meditation is not about just sitting there blissed out man you know everything is cool that you're somehow just sort of zoning out as you say are are just checking out and then hoping everything works out it really is about getting giving yourself space giving yourself time to check in with yourself you know and I always feel that we've got a best buddy inside of us who's always ready to team up who's always got our back who doesn't feel anxious, who doesn't feel afraid of things, who knows that everything's going to work out. And we can ignore that part of ourselves for most of our lives. Meditation gives us the chance to just take a moment. And when we start to breathe in, become aware of our body, aware of our breath, we start to check in with that other part of ourselves, that deeper part of ourselves, that that, all of this can sound a little bit Oprah. I get that. But there's no denying that when we do take the time to just say hello to ourselves, what's going on with you today? And just like a best friend, they'll say, I'm anxious or I'm pissed off with Timmy or I'm feeling sad today for no reason. If ever you have a friend who you can say that to, you automatically feel better. And our inner parts are the same. They just want to be listened to sometimes. And if we don't listen to them, sometimes they can give us some fairly dramatic signals that could have you in an ambulance heading to a comedy festival. So it's never been more important to acknowledge how we're feeling, either emotionally or physically. That's not to say we have to wallow in it all day, but simply to allow whatever it is that wants to come out. Because all we're doing is we're dipping our toe in that little stream of whatever's flowing through us at that moment in that day. It doesn't mean that it's there forever. It doesn't even mean that it'll be there in an hour. But the more we can check in, just acknowledge it and then move on, we could then are starting to bring our whole selves to the day and not just the shiny, happy parts that we want to put on Instagram. Yeah. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. 
big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My Instagram is particularly not shiny anymore. I probably need to put up some more filtered things now. People think there's something wrong with me. They're just like, God, are you ever happy? You know what? You get to the point where you're too honest. You're like, hold on, I need to need to bring some joy back in here. Can I ask you, for someone who's starting out, like right now, for example, I cannot see a time in the day. I mean, if I do get free time at the moment with him, I want to sleep or I have to sterilize bottles like would you start off with something as simple as like a minute and work your way up like is it a case of the more you do the better as in the amount of time you spend meditating no you can do whatever works for you the very you know whether you're meditating for 10 seconds 10 minutes or an hour the very fact that you're taking a moment to say okay i'm going to put something in here just to check in with myself I'm feeling a bit stressed. I just want to lower that stress response so I can carry on with my day. Even if that's one conscious breath, that's massively effective. There's a guy I write about in the book who contacted me. He started the 16 second meditation. He just was at the end of his tether. He was, it was early in lockdown. He'd lost his job. He had two small kids. He was ratty all the time. He was, you know, he couldn't seem to shake the stress of his patients had, you know, was frayed and he hated the kind of version of himself that was around every day because he was usually a happy-go-lucky person who sang in the shower. That was his thing, singing in the shower. And he noticed one day that he stopped. But he contacted me to say that he'd, he'd been doing the 16-second meditation every day for two weeks. So that's just 16 seconds out of his day. And he noticed he wanted to talk to me and tell me because he was so happy that he started singing in the shower again. And that may seem like a silly, innocuous thing, you know, who cares if he's singing in the shower or not. But for him, it was really important because it was a marker for him that he was himself. This was a little signal to him that everything was okay. So as soon as that disappeared, he started to feel a bit lost. So when it came back, he was like, oh, yes, I'm starting to feel myself again. I know I've still got a lot of stuff going on, but at least I'm singing in the shower because that's me at my best. That's what I, that's what he liked. So that was a small, short technique that he introduced into his busy day. And for him, it had a profound effect because it lifted his mood enough that he felt like himself again. Something that I have found helpful, if you ever find yourself queuing for something, take this as an opportunity to not pick up your phone and just look around you. Do you think something like that would be helpful for someone who's finding it hard to find a point where they can sit down and get really into it? Absolutely. You know, our day is filled with those kinds of little moments. As you say, you could be queuing up for something 
you could be just about to turn on Netflix with no particular idea of what you want to watch, but you're going to surf through that menu of the same crap you looked at yesterday, you know, and you'll settle on something, you know, there's five minutes there. There's one minute there that you could go, actually, do you know what? Before I hit the on button, I am just going to take a big, deep breath in through my nose, and then I'm going to just focus on my out breath. I'm just going to try and feel my breath leaving my body until it's gone. And then I'll turn on the telly. Maybe you are wrecked because you've been minding the baby. Finally, the baby goes to sleep and you're ready to go to sleep yourself. Maybe you could just throw on a guided 10 minute meditation to send you off to sleep. You know, it's a way of just checking in with yourself in those moments before you zone out and go into dreamland. So Yes, sometimes you need to be a little bit creative, but I suppose the biggest excuse I hear all the time is I just don't have the time. Sounds great. Don't have the time. Like we all have the time to focus on one breath in a day. We have 16 seconds. I would say you do. And yes, the routine might be hard depending on your circumstances, but these little moments are precious whenever we can find them. You know, maybe it is while you're giving your baby your bottle and you just love this, the sound of listening to their breath. Maybe it's not even your own breath you're listening. Maybe you're just in that moment of just really listening to their breath. Oh, I'm getting so zen now just listening to you. <laughs> I'm going to get to be a really um, sleepy interviewer now for the rest of this. <laughs> well, that's good. That means you're starting to relax. Yes, I am. Uh, we all need that. You know, maybe it's OK, look, I don't have time to sit down, you know, on my couch and start doing this, but I need to take the baby for a walk. So why don't I have a mindful walk? So I'm going to walk around the block. So maybe for the first five minutes of my walk with, uh, you know, with the buggy today, I am going to just listen to the sounds that I can hear. And I'll start with the ones that are close. So I can hear the sound of the buggy, the wheels on the ground. I can hear my baby breathing or gurgling or chuckling. You know, I can hear my own breath. I can hear my footsteps. Then you move it out. I can hear the birds. Then I can hear what sounds do I hear further away and further away and off in the distance. Is there traffic there? Is that a toot of a horn or a, you know, an ambulance siren? Even if you did that for a minute or two, you're already, I mean, all we're trying to do with any of these exercises, it's not like a magic wand. We're just bringing our focus into the present moment. And again, I know that's one of those things that we hear about in very sort of Californian circles. It's about (laughs) the present moment and authenticity, guys. But all the present moment means is that we're not in the past worrying about stuff that we did or that was done to us. And we're not in the future wondering about stuff that might or mightn't happen. We are just in the here and now. And when we're in that state, that's the state where our brains and our nervous systems can start to function properly. So the more moments of that we can bring in throughout the day, even if they're literally just one out breath, that's all you're focusing on, then that's another moment in the present. And that's all we're trying to do. Stay out of the past, stay out of the future, just stay in the now. That's why I'll often tell people if they go, look, I'll come to one of your comedy shows, but you're not getting me meditating. <laughs> I'll say, oh, OK, why don't you do something where you lose track of time? Was there anything in your life before that you used to do a little bit more? Maybe it was art. Maybe it was reading. Maybe it was picking up the guitar 
to, you know, messing around with the piano, playing with your dog, rolling around on the carpet with your baby. Is, is there any moment or anything like that where you can lose track of time? You're just in that moment. Then start that. Start there. You know, maybe it's running. Maybe if that's all you can do, if you think, look, when I run, I just zone out and I could be running forever. I don't know what time it is, where I am. Then that's essentially a running meditation. Start there. Okay, so you can attach it maybe onto something else that you're doing. You find that you, like you say, lose track of time and that can be your version of meditation or your place to start. And then maybe you can graduate on to sitting cross-legged on top of a mountain someday. Yeah, if you want. If you really hate your knee cartilage, yeah. by all means, go <laughs> full lotus on a mountaintop. I much prefer a comfy chair with a blanket. All we're trying to do is just get ourselves you know, out of the past, out of the future, into the present moment as many times in a day as we can, because all the science says that makes us happier. Yeah, you can't argue with it. You talk in the book as well about creating more space in your life by saying no to things. And... I suppose you had gotten to a point in 2007 when you were going in a million different directions and there was a lot going on. And I think there's a real tendency, particularly maybe with the millennial generation. I don't know if, do you qualify as millennial? Oh, I'm definitely not millennial. <laughs> it might just be around uh, there. Previous anyway. millennium, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but maybe with millennial or just just people in general living in this world right now, we see a lot of these quotes about like saying yes to everything because you don't know what opportunity it will lead to. And I think there's been a real pressure on people because we have all this opportunity to take it all and do it all. And I have a chapter in my book saying, yes, you can do anything, but you can't do everything. You know, something's got to give at some point. It takes maturity to get to a point where you're going to start saying no to things but what you found is not only did you carve back time for yourself for you know things that you like and enjoy it actually opened you up to the opportunities that were better suited for you so how I know this isn't really related to meditation but how would you advise people look at how they're spending their time and making choices executive decisions about how you're spending it to better yourself because for me especially being self-employed I find it hard to say no to things because I'm like well what if they never come back to me or what if I did this and it led to that and at some point something's got to give like so now I know having been through what I've been through how important my well-being is but someone else maybe a younger person hasn't gotten there yet and maybe they're burning themselves out in the hopes of opportunity and I don't think that's going to necessarily end well. Yeah, for me, it started with my diary. I remember one day, I, I'm an analog diary man, and I, I like these, uh, you know, one day per page, actual physical diaries that, that you write in. Um, I'm not particularly good at staying focused on a digital diary. But I remember looking at it one day, and I realized that everything I had written in, in there was work and for other people. So it was, you know, meeting, two o'clock, John, record this, write that, do this, do that. And I realized that there was actually nothing in there for me. In, in the, I would look at the whole week ahead and the, there wasn't even an hour like, you know, go to the gym or uh, have a run or rest. You know, it was all just things for other people. And, and I kind of got shocked when I had that realization. I was like, man, I, I'm giving all my time away. All of it, every second every of every day, I'm just you know, if it isn't for other people or work, it doesn't seem to count. It's almost like a waste of time. So I started to become very conscious then of going, okay, well, I'm going to start to write in some. So 
and, and this has to become non-negotiable because the, our own time is the one that we're usually quickest to give away as well. You know, when someone goes, hey, can you meet me at uh, two o'clock on Wednesday? And you're like, oh, God, I was going to actually take the dog for a walk in that nice uh, forest that I went to. But um, ugh, I can probably do that another day. Yeah, yeah, cool. You know, and that that's that's the slippery slope. And next thing you know, you're binning all the stuff for yourself. So I started to get more active about writing stuff in. So at least one day this week, I want to open my diary and I want to see Thursday, three o'clock, nine holes of golf or whatever it is. But it has to be me and it has to be non-negotiable. And once we start to fight for those things that we know we need, we know we need time in nature. We know we need time for ourselves. We know we need to see all and talk to old friends, but they're always the first things that we give away. So even putting one thing in your diary for this week, ring fence it, non-negotiable. You know, if Michal Martin wants to talk to you, tell him, thanks, but no thanks. I'll catch you next week. And when we start to get a little bit more focused and unwilling to give those bits of time from our week away, then we start to feel a little bit more balanced and we don't feel like everyone wants a piece of us. And it keeps that sense of overwhelm at bay as well. Yeah, it's so important. I think it's something you have to get good at saying no to things for, you know, your future self. And it's not an easy skill, but it's something like meditation that you can practice and cultivate. I've never thought of it that way. Like it's your own personal time that you're so quick to throw away. We put such value on work to do lists or doing the shopping or whatever. And we need to start putting it up there alongside those things or if not above. Mm. Yeah, I remember I was on a TV show a few years back called Republic of Telly. And I remember I was so busy. I was doing that and I was doing the radio and I was doing corporate stuff. And I, was, I had fallen back into that busyness, you know, for the sake of it and, and saying yes to everything for the same reasons, you know, working for yourself or working in media as well. You always think I have to say yes to everything or they'll forget who I am. They'll never <laughs> hire me, you know, whoever they are. And I remember I quit Republic of Telly because I just felt it was draining me and I, I wasn't really enjoying it anymore or as much as I was at the start. And I remember I just started going for breakfast in the morning before my radio job. I was working in 98FM in Dublin at the time. And I would just go and have a bit of breakfast in a little cafe just by myself. And that would be my plan for the morning. And I started just saying no to loads of stuff. No, not doing it. I'm going for a walk. I'm going for breakfast, whatever. And just like magic, as you said, the stuff I really wanted to do then suddenly started to come my way. It wasn't all the, yeah, it could be a good stepping stone. Are they great to get in with? As soon as I took my foot off the brake, or off the accelerator, I should say, Today FM came knocking and I, you know, I got the job that I really, really wanted. But I, I had to create that, that space um, for those things to come in. I mean, that's just one little example. But sometimes we can think that we are doing everything we need to be doing because we're saying yes and we're doing this and we're doing that and we're meeting so-and-so. Well, actually, it's, it's actually taking a step back, creating a bit of space for stuff to come into because sometimes we're actually so busy we're missing we're missing the real opportunities or we're missing the stuff and the directions we really want to go in because we've we're preoccupied with all this other stuff do you think we're changing our perception of equating busyness with success i hope so and certainly 2020 has knocked that on the head a little bit as well and i think we're starting to reevaluate what the word success means and you know i think as humans we tend to do that at various stages, you know, if we're lucky, you know, I talk a little bit about it in the book that 
we can have an idea of success that was formulated 30 years ago when we were teenagers or even longer before that, depending what age you are. So it's no harm to check in with ourselves and go, okay, why did I start doing all these things that I'm doing? You know, what were the reasons at the time? You know, you can have someone who, you know, went into a career very early because they needed to put food on the table or bring money into the house because one of their parents wasn't around or available. Or you could find yourself in a job where you're constantly just pleasing authority figures because that's what you did and were told to do when you were 16. You know, and you could find yourself and suddenly now you're you're 32 and you're going, why am I doing these jobs again? What, what, why am I in this job? I forget why I even wanted to start doing this. Because as we, you know, we change, my teacher always called it this, the, our winning formula. You know, this was something that we cultivated at a very young age. And that's what worked for us at that particular time. But fast forward 20 years, those things may not be working for us anymore. You know, and that can lead to feelings of depression or detachment. So sometimes it's nice to check in with yourself and, and create a new winning formula, a new a new list of reasons why you want to do certain things and, and what you actually do want to do. And sometimes that does require a little bit of soul searching, but at least it will step us off the train. You know, I compare it in, in the book to actually, you know, if you ever fallen asleep on a, on a train and suddenly you wake up with a jolt and go, where am I? That can happen to us in our lives sometime. We're like, how the hell did I get here? here. I've, yeah. I've just been on automatic pilot for the last however many years. So, Sometimes anything that encourages that process of, of checking in with yourself and saying, okay, is this really what I want to be doing right now? Is this how I had anticipated everything working out? Is there anything small thing I can do? Meditation is one of those little tools that help us to check in with ourselves. And, you know, if something doesn't feel right, it will usually pop up in something like meditation to give you a little gentle nudge and say, maybe you could look at this area a little bit more. Yeah, so true. Dermot, before I let you go, I'm conscious that I've I've kept you now for almost an hour. I could just talk to you I'm about it all it. day, but I want to give you a chance to sell the book. So it's kind of part memoir. There's a lot of comedy in it. But what do you want people really to come away from with this book? I hope that it just demystifies the whole world of meditation and gives people, even if they're not comfortable with the word meditation, because it just has too many things uh, that come with it, too much baggage. If it gives people simple tools and techniques to use every day, any day when they're feeling a little bit challenged, I would be very happy. And that's the mission. That's my goal with the book is to just show people that sometimes it can take a very, very small technique or small change in your day or how you perceive it to have a huge ripple effect out into the rest of your life, to your relationships, your job, your levels of happiness, whatever that is. So I hope that it gives people some easy tools and techniques and gives them a laugh along the way, because I think humor is massively important, uh, particularly these days. So, oh, so important. Um, if they can have the odd chuckle while they're reading the book as well, then I'd be very happy. Well, massive congratulations. It's brilliant. And I'm sure it's going to do really well for you. And for anyone listening, I'll put the link in the bio as well. And it's launching in April. It is. It's out April 16th. You can pre-order it now and you'll get access to my exclusive launch night as well. Oh, uh, fancy. Is, of course, happening online. Like <laughs> you at home, the world. 
I'll be signing books in my bedroom. If That's anyone's literally interested. what I did for my book launch. I had a glass of wine or two by myself on Instagram Live in my bedroom, <laughs> hoping that the baby wouldn't start crying. <laughs> and I had a ball. It was great. <laughs> yeah. Well, aren't we so lucky, you know, that we have this technology now you know, I know we have podcasts like yours you know the zoom slash webex slash whatever it is you know technologies that allow people to stay in touch and to talk about these things and, and get the information out there i think it's how people have coped the last year like being able to hear people like you access content like this because you can't go anywhere but there's such valuable help out there at the click of a button you know so hopefully hopefully we've given our listeners something to take away today and maybe rethink some of the assumptions they held about meditation i promise you now when i end this meeting i'm going to close my laptop and instead of picking up my phone i'm literally going to take it right now and put it on the other side of the bed and i'm going to give myself even if i can do two minutes of just thinking about my breath and just focusing on it and i'm going to do that for you (laughs) we'll do it for you i'll do it for me me. yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah by doing it for yourself, sometimes people think, well, it's meditation all sounds very selfish, you know, it sounds very me, me, me. Oh, I need to focus on my breath, my breath. You know, I need to control my thoughts. <laughs> um, but actually, you know, what happens when we calm ourselves, when we're more present, we have a lighter mood, we're more patient, everyone around us benefits. So it's actually the least selfish thing you can do because you're helping everyone that you encounter that day. I'm about to face into witching hour before bed with the baby. So I would need all the zen I can get. And I'll see if my husband notices that I'm a bit nicer to be around. <laughs> well, actually, you know, I do mention in the book, this was the first thing that I noticed was when my wife said to me, you know what, you're a lot more patient at bedtime around the kids bedtime because for me and for so many parents, it's the, oh God, here it comes, yeah. you know. <laughs> I just want to get them down into bed and then I could sit down and I could watch daddy's Formula One Netflix program. <laughs> yeah, or a glass of wine. Whatever it is. Yeah. And that was the first thing that my wife noticed. She was like, oh, you've, you've so much more patience with them. And I, you're, you're joking around with them more and you're making up silly stories. And I was like, oh, oh, that's, that's actually interesting because I didn't notice, but other people around you will. Amazing. Dermot, thank you so much for your brilliant advice and tips. And you do regular meditations on your Instagram and stuff if people want to sign up. Yeah, I do. I have free guided meditations on my website if people ever want to use those. There's anxiety and there's a family one there, one for sleep. Just DermotWheelan.com? DermotWheelan.com, yeah. And there's lots of uh, tips and techniques and things for starting your own meditation practice and keep making it stick. And yes, I do a live guided meditation every Sunday morning on Instagram live at 11 o'clock and there's always a few hundred people most of which are beginners and cynics and you know what the hell is this and why is this comedian what's he doing Uh, but it's just it's really cool it's a very uh, welcome thing that has now slightly turned into Sunday mass which is (laughs) it's the new mass Welcome here. Thank you so much for your time and best of luck with everything. And it was such a pleasure as always to chat to you. And yeah, I wish you the best of luck with it. Uh, Thanks, Caroline. Keep up the great work. I hope you get some sleep tonight. Oh, I better. (laughs) I'll be meditating in the morning if not. (laughs) There you go. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.